All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Care Forum podcast. My name is Dr. Cedric Batchetou, your host for the hour. We bring knowledge to empower you and address the root cause of your disease. Our goal is to interest you in the care of the human frame, in diet, and in the cause and prevention of disease. Today, we're joined by none other than Dr. Catherine Toomer. Dr. Toomer is a family medicine and community health physician. She is the founder and CEO of Health Wellness and Weight Loss Centers, which is a virtual treatment and coaching center for optimizing health and wellness through weight loss. Dr. Toomer created this program 20 years ago when she herself was obese, an insulin-dependent diabetic, and was diagnosed with pregnancy-related congestive heart failure. She was told she was too high risk when seeking help. Using her program, she lost weight, managed to get off insulin, and survived her coronary heart failure, despite being told she had a 50% chance of living no longer than five years. Dr. Toomer lives in South Carolina with her husband, two Labradoodles, and an empty nest. She attended medical school at Michigan State University and did her residency at Shands Hospital at the University of Florida. Dr. Toomer, I want to thank you for joining us here on the Self-Care Forum podcast. Thank you for having me. First of all, Dr. Toomer, um, whenever we have guests on this podcast, I always uh, like to pick their brains and see what inspired them to begin their journey into healthcare. So I want to put this okay. up to you. What inspired you to begin your journey into the field of healthcare? Well, um, it was a, a cancer scare of my father's. Um, I was about eight years old. And I used to spend a lot of time, I'm from a large family, there's eight children in my family. And so um, I figured out that if I wanted to get either of my parents alone, I should go in when and talk to them when everyone else was watching cartoons. And so I used to sit and talk to my father while everyone else was watching cartoons, I would just sit and talk to him and we'd talk and talk and talk. And this would happen about once a week, usually on Sunday afternoons after church. And then one day he was gone. He just wasn't there. And I could tell there was a lot of tension in the house and everyone was acting a little scared. And I couldn't figure out why I was one of the babies. So nobody told me anything. And um, eventually one of my sisters told me that my father was in the hospital with cancer. And at that age, at that time, the only time I'd ever heard the cancer word was when someone died. And so um, naturally I got very, very scared. And then one day he, he came home. And so I asked him, you know, what happened? How, you know, how did you get better? You know, and he just talked about his doctors and how wonderful they were. And he talked about them with such admiration and such awe. And that I just decided at that moment, I was going to be a doctor. And I never changed my mind. Wow. And that's essentially what set me on my path. My mother's an educator. My, both of my parents went to college, but my mother is a teacher. And when I told her I wanted to become a doctor, she said, okay. And for an eight-year-old to say you want to do something and to have an adult say, okay, and take you seriously, I knew it was something that was worthwhile and good. And then a few weeks later, I got a skeleton that was anatomically correct. It was miniature and each bone had interconnected. And it took me about a month to put it together. But it was her way of acknowledging my, my announcement and then taking that announcement seriously. And 
I've been incredibly fascinated by the human body ever since. And so I just never waver. Such a moving story, such an example. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I understand you're a primary care physician. Mm-hmm. Now, I am. how did you then reconcile that with your passion? Because I know mm-hmm. uh, you've created the whole You Total Weight Loss program. And so mm-hmm. how do we go from primary care to then this focus on obesity? I know you're a little, mm-hmm. uh, you shared with us your life story, but could you expand on mm-hmm. that a little bit, please? Well, um, I, when I decided I was going to be a doctor at that point, the only doctors I had met, uh, my father had a friend who was a psychiatrist, and then I knew my own family doctor that we went to. And so I kind of, those were the only two that I was familiar with. And so that's what I had decided I was going to be one or the other. And then when I was, uh, when I was 10 years old, my family actually moved to East Africa. And it was there that I saw how um, untreated diseases what they, how they manifest. And I also saw how people who didn't have money um, were ill and those who did have money were well. And that's when I decided I was gonna do primary care because I felt I, I could fill in that gap. And that sort of, that idea of filling in gaps in healthcare has followed me um, since then. And that's essentially, I went through family medicine because as they say, you know, as we say here in South Carolina, you take care of the rooted to the tuta, but that's, that's our, our South Carolinian way of putting it. But essentially from the cradle to the grave, from, you know, and everything in between. And so um, when I myself got ill and I recognized that much of my illness was um, my lifestyle created it. It was the stress that caused my weight gain. It was my weight gain that caused my diabetes. Um, the diabetes plus my anemia and pregnancy and obesity probably led to my congestive heart failure after my daughter was born. And so I realized I needed to practice what I preached. And so uh, when I created my program, I tried to use my program when treating my patients when I finally was able to go back to medicine. And I worked in underserved areas. I worked in what are called uh, fed, uh, FQHCs. They're federal health centers because I wanted to work with people who didn't have access otherwise. But what I found was that I couldn't help other people reverse their diseases the way I did my own because I wasn't given enough time. I wasn't given the resources. Um, in a lot of cases, people weren't really all that interested. The mm. patients were interested but the facilities weren't because that, that wasn't a money-making uh, activity for them. You know, seeing I had to see a certain number of patients an hour just for them to keep the lights on. And so, um, but this, the kind of work that I do takes time. And so what I ended up doing was opening a very small practice so I could keep my overhead low so I wouldn't have to charge very much. And also um, that I, so I could spend an hour and talk. And so, what it's done is allows me to, as I say, listen to the whisper behind the words, because a lot of what people think is going on, or what they tell you is not actually what's going on, or it may not be the cause. And I'm always listening for the cause. And so um, that's how I transitioned from primary care. And I still do a lot of the same thing. Primary care is a biopsychosocial um, 
approach to medicine. And so you pay attention to the biology, the psychology, and the sociology of the person. All I did was transfer that to what I do now and just gave it a different name, but it's exactly the same thing. And I just tagged on weight loss because one of the things I found, one, that's my story. I lost a significant amount of weight. Actually, um, since I actually thought I had lost, well, I initially lost 60. I've since lost another 25. But when I looked at an old record, medical record recently, I realized that it, I've actually lost about 100 pounds total. Wow. And so, but I knew that people are very interested in losing weight. Some people are very interested in being healthy. Some people are interested in being losing weight. But I found that by putting weight loss in there, I get a lot of people, a lot more traffic. But I still focus on health first. My health first, wellness second, and then weight loss follows. Thank you for sharing that, Dr. Toomer. And I think that it's so relevant to where we are as a nation. Um, Just a, a recent statistic shows that the U.S. today, the adult obesity rate stands at about 42%. And that is, that does not include children. You know, we have an epidemic of obese kids now and they're growing up and that's also going to contribute to that number. So obesity is something that is ubiquitous, really. And I think that Mm -hmm. one of the ways we know this is a fact is every year, you know, uh, people set together their, you know, New Year's resolution, gym memberships Mm -hmm. go up, but then by around February to March, um, you know, those memberships go down, they start to decline because people Mm -hmm. lose interest or, you know, maybe they're too busy or preoccupied. So we're a nation that constantly tries, but then for whatever reason, we tend to lose interest or maybe Uh, you know, the strictly physical exercise approach doesn't work for everybody. So I'm very- No, it doesn't. And in fact, it doesn't work for anybody. (laughs) Well, that's why we're, that's why we have you on. I'm very interested to hear your perspective and your point with how Mm -hmm. it is that you were able to lose so much weight um, without, Mm -hmm. you know, being angry (laughs) or some of the things. So please do tell us. And I, yeah. Well, I, I, a, a couple of things, actually, if you consider, if you consider, uh, if you add obesity, plus those who are overweight to the point where it affects their health, we're actually about two thirds. So it's like 60%, actually 66% in the wow. United States. Wow. In some places even higher. And mm-hmm. so, and that's not to say everyone's obese. Cause one of the reasons why um, I, 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 I often don't use the word obese a lot simply because you can be overweight, not obese. There can be someone who is obese who's actually healthier than someone who's less obese and who isn't. And so I tend to focus on um, weight that causes health issues. And so what that is, is weight in pounds, but also whatever in life is weighing people down because stress and conflict can cause just as much health problems as a few extra pounds can. So it's all weight, not, you know, it's, it's, it's life weight and pound weight. So I always like to emphasize that. But one of the, 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 the problems we have is that we have in this country and in a lot of countries, a weight loss industry. They are businesses. 
They make money off of people being overweight. So they also make money when they gain that weight back. They are not designed for permanent weight loss because they lose money if they if you lose weight permanently. Understand. And so what ha- and so what happens is they create these programs, they create these systems, they create this mindset that sets people up for failure. And then what that does either metabolically it makes them harder to lose the weight when they've gained it back. Psychologically, it makes it harder for them to lose the weight when they've gained it back. And physiologically, in a lot of ways, it does as well, because our brain has a memory and we are designed to stay alive. Mm -hmm. And two of the things we do to stay alive as animals is we have a fight or flight reaction, which is to stop us from being eaten. So we can fight off something or run away from something. And the other is to prevent us from starving. When our brain recognizes that we're not getting enough food, it creates mechanisms to stop it from ever happening again. So a lot of these diets that people are on that drop their calories, what that does, it sets them up so that their body won't let them lose weight again in that same way. But yet we, but people keep trying to lose weight in that same way by increasing activity, dropping calories. When I lost my weight, a couple of things, I couldn't exercise because of my heart. So it had to be only from eating. I like food and there was no way I was going to drop the amount of food I was going to eat because I just like food too much. And what I learned then is something that we all kind of know now is that um, carbohydrates and managing carbohydrates are way more important than managing calories. Mm. And so getting enough protein, reducing the amount of carbohydrates, and I don't mean reduced to the point where like a ketogenic diet, yes, they work, but they're not sustainable. You can trick your body into thinking you're eating a ketogenic diet when you're not. And that's essentially what I do. That's sort of the cornerstone of what I do is um, I just tell people whatever carbohydrates you're eating, add protein to it until the carbohydrate gets sort of obliterated. And um, because that's really how you sustain lifelong weight loss. And the reason protein is so important is because our muscles are protein. There's only two ways our body can maintain our metabolism through our thyroid, which is going to do what it's going to do and our muscle. And so one of the reasons that we start to gain weight as we get older, is it because of our age? And it's not really even because of hormones, even though that's what what we've been told Mm -hmm. it's because we lose our muscle and that's why protein at all ages for weight loss is so important and when you refer to the ketogenic diet you're referring to a diet that's very low in carbs and tends to be high in fats Mm -hmm. correct well it's high in protein healthy fats and very low in carbohydrates but it's such a low amount of carbohydrates that it's unrealistic um the, the most, like the, the, the real, I mean, what's considered a ketogenic diet is, uh, I think 25 grams of carbs a day, 25 grams or less. When you consider that a teaspoon of sugar has 15 grams mm. of carbohydrates in it, imagine trying to eat a balanced diet and not eating enough, you know, you just can't get enough mm-hmm. um, carbohydrate and, and your body even, yes, you'll drop weight, but your body will eventually stop it. And it will, it's really, really difficult to maintain. 
because it's not natural. It's just not a natural way of eating. And so um, I'm a big fan of eating intuitively, eating in ways that make sense. And if you have to measure, if you have to constantly write things down, if you have to always you know, check to see how many calories is to something, that's not natural. That's not a natural way of functioning throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the fewer steps, the easier those steps, the more likely you are to maintain it for the rest of your life. And so one of the things I always like to say is you have to be able to do whatever you're doing now, you have to be able to do when you're 90 or whatever weight loss you get will not be maintained because you can't keep it up. So for 30, you should just, whatever you're doing now, you should be able to do forever. So if it's strenuous exercise that's keeping your weight off, the likelihood you're going to have to somehow at some point shift that dependency on exercise to something else because we physically cannot maintain high levels of exercise for the rest of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're eating in a certain way that you can't maintain no matter where you go, if it's very specific to your region, or you know, if you can't get the same food when you're traveling, or you can't get the same food when you're at work and you have to eat in a cafeteria, what's going to happen is that whatever benefit you restrict yourself to the point where you can't, you lose function and you lose mobility. And so, um, so all of those things play, like those are like the non-food things that sort of play into weight loss and maintaining weight loss. So you bring up a very interesting point, uh, essentially when you eat carbs offset it by eating protein, which is mm-hmm. very different from what you hear from a lot of these weight loss programs. They tend to be mm-hmm. sort of calorie centric where mm-hmm. it's all about reducing the amount of carbs or counting carbs and eating less than 2000, um, you know, the whole calorie restricting. Um, I mean, there are programs out there. I think Noom is one such program that tends to focus on getting you to eat less calories than you normally would. And so that calorie deficit would itself lead to weight loss. But are you saying that those programs, uh, they usually are not sustainable? They're not. Some of them are, but then it's only if they're they're realistic. So most of us who are or who have been overweight can tell you, we really don't overeat. It's not from volume. It's usually because of something in our bodies that are that our bodies reacting to food in a certain way. It's almost like an allergy to a certain degree. Our, either our body beca- uh, reacts by uh, not being able to metabolize carbohydrates. So it's like sort of a, a, a subclinical diabetes. Before the numbers start changing, we actually can react, relate, um, sorry, react to carbohydrates like a diabetic, even before you're truly diabetic. Mm. Stress can make your body react to food as if you're a diabetic, just because of cortisol, the hormone, you know, stress hormone. Mm -hmm. And so what the environment that food goes into, into our body can be affected by so many things and volume and calories are not often, are often not those things that it reacts to. And so the cause is not from overeating. Most people, I mean, if you talk to most people who are overweight and you actually sit down and look at what they're eating, the volume is not that much. And a lot of times the food is not calorie rich. Now, the only time that's an exception 
is when it's in the form of soft drinks. Okay. Soft drinks with are high in sugar and those are high calorie, low nutrient foods that do cause um, people to be overweight. Mm -hmm. And so that's probably one of the few things that might be consistent across the board. But most of the time, a lot of it's genetics, some of it's regional, you know, some of it's age or height. I'm, I'm, you know, 4'11". So it doesn't take many calories for me to maintain my, my activities. And there's no way I could eat that few of calories anyway, because I wouldn't get the nutrients I need. And so there's other things that I have to do in order to keep my weight off. And I, I found, and I've done this with many people over the years, protein is what makes the difference. Mm. And And, And so go ahead. Well, I wanted to add that when you consume carbs by themselves, it usually sends a spike in your blood sugar right? Which Mm -hmm. is akin to what a diabetic experience is. But if you were to tack on that carb, a protein, or even a healthy fat, um, you know, the rise in blood sugar would be stemmed. It would, you know, it would actually slow down that rise. Very great point. I mean, this is stuff that I wish more people knew. Now that you say it, I, when I think about it, it absolutely makes sense. And, but you don't hear Mm -hmm. this out there you don't really hear too many people say things like this they just kind of emphasize well because all the the voices of the businesses are making all the noise Mm. it's like the noise is coming from people who are making money Mm -hmm. it's like their 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 purpose is not health their purpose is to get dollars and so Mm -hmm. they 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 create a situation where people say "Ooh, that program helped me lose weight but it's my fault i gained it back when really it's the program's fault, you gained it back also because it wasn't something that was true to life. And if it's not, not something that's true to life, that makes sense biologically, doesn't make sense psychologically, and doesn't make sense sociologically, you're not going to be successful. So if you're eating in a way that you can't sit down and eat with your family, or you're eating in a way that you can't eat a meal that was made for you out of love, or you can't, you're eating in a way so that you can't celebrate people's birthdays, your own birthday, because there's a cake involved, something's wrong. There's no way you can maintain that for the rest of your life. It'll affect your relationships, your work relationships, your home relationships. It will affect your moods. It will affect you, how you see yourself, how other people see you. And so there's so many factors that kind of go into weight loss that have very little to do with how much you're eating, but just what you're eating and what configuration. And it's very easy to do. And it's, it's very, and I'll, I can talk a little bit later if people want to know, but there's a, there, it, you can visualize it. It's, it's a visual. You don't need a measuring cup. You don't need anything telling you how many calories. You simply look at your plate. And like I say, if you have a plate, the palm of your hand should be the amount of carbohydrates or starches should not be larger than the palm of your hand. So if you put that on your plate, that's about a quarter of the plate, half of it should be vegetables and the other quarter should be protein or at least three quarters. The whole three quarters can be broken up into however you want, but it should be protein and vegetables. And if you decide that you want to have a carbohydrate of any kind, you just stop and think, 
What protein can I add to this? What healthy fat can I add to this? If I can't add a protein and I can't add a healthy fat, what healthy fat or protein can I eat right before I have this carbohydrate? So that's how I, I eat cookies. If I want a cookie, I'll either drink, have a, a protein shake, like a vanilla protein shake with it as my milk, or I'll have a non-carb snack right before so that it offsets the sugar or anything else, the carbs from the cookie. And that's essentially what I've been doing for the last 20 years uh, to maintain my weight loss. Wow. Because I, I, I learned very early on, I'm not very disciplined when it comes to, I don't have much willpower. So <laughs> when, when I want something, I want it. And so what I learned was just ways of, of maintaining uh, my weight by being able to have the things that I, I, I want with others. And this was before keto. Now, if I had had ketogenic diets, that knowledge, then it would have been a whole lot easier because mm -hmm. I would have known then what I was doing. But at the time, I, I just sort of figured it out. Wow, that is so powerful. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I love this stuff and I'm learning something new because it's like I said, you know, you think, you know, you talk to somebody else who's gone through that path, that journey, and you learn a lot more. So thank you so much for that um, and that perspective. So that covers carbs and its relationship with our blood sugar. What about the role of water? We're often told that you have to drink X amount of glasses of water, uh, depending on how much you weigh in order to keep your metabolism uh, up and running. What can you say with regards to drinking water and its importance in terms of weight loss and your metabolism? Okay, um, it's interesting because I had that in my head to speak about next. Um, water is very important. In fact, I can, there's really about five things you can do. I have actually an ebook that's called um, How to Lose Weight Without Really Trying. And the first number one is drink water before putting anything else in your mouth. Simply that if you drink four to eight ounces of water before you drink anything else, before you eat anything else, any snack, any meal, it will do a couple of things. It will hydrate you. Our body sometimes confuses us and makes us think we're hungry when we're really dehydrated. Mm -hmm. The other thing that dehydration does is it affects our moods. And everyone knows stress eating is real. You know, emotional eating is real. So if you have a process going on that's affecting your mood, it's going to make you eat. And so just drinking water eliminates those two things. Then drinking water before also fills your stomach a little bit. So you don't eat as much at the time. If you are someone who is an overeater, which many of us aren't. But the other thing that it does is our food is digested as a liquid. Our food is basically taken from solid, broken down by chewing. Mm -hmm. And the longer you chew your food, the more liquid your food is by the time you swallow it, the better it's digested. And so what water does is it creates this nice um, stew with our food and liquid that allows our digestive enzymes to act more effect effectively. And mm -hmm. what that does is it breaks the food down to its nutrients but also it's vitamins, the micronutrients um, and vitamins and the minerals like potassium, magnesium, calcium, 
all of those things play a role in telling your brain that you've eaten. It tells your brain what to tell you, what, it, uh, what you should do. So when those things get broken down and they get absorbed, the message to your brain is, oh, you can stop eating now. I've got everything I need. And that's why water is important because it helps with that process. And, um, and that's really, I mean, it's probably one of the most important nutrients, um, uh, food items out there. We talk about carbs, we talk about you know, fat, we talk about protein. Water is the number one, first and foremost. Managing your water is more important than managing anything else because most people do not drink enough. And very well said because we've replaced water consumption with soda and other uh, sugary beverages. Um, I think you see that just when you go out to eat, for example, um, soda consumption has gone, you know, has skyrocketed in the United States and in much of the world uh, just because of its convenience. Uh, sugar is an addicting substance. So it's Absolutely. all too common for people to drink a soda, a can of soda, a sugary beverage with their meal as opposed to drinking water with their meal. And a lot of them don't understand that those the sugary beverage is not going to act like water. It's just going to add to your total caloric intake. Intake and make you more thirsty. Um, sugar is is uh, a substance that makes our body feel like we have not gotten the fluid, and so it'll make you want to drink more. But now that's not to say that it has to be plain water as long as it is, has no sugar. You can have a flavored water as long as there's no sugar in it. It can be flavored, that's fine. Because better to drink it flavored than to not drink it at all. Mm-hmm. It's just that it should not have sugar in it. So use a sugar-free, some type of sugar-free uh, flavoring if you need to in order to get that liquid in. Um, but the other is that um, I, to understand and this is something that I hear a lot. People are like, I, I crave sugar, I crave carbohydrates, I crave these things. If you crave those things, more than likely, and, you do, and you're not a diabetic, if you are a diabetic, you're going to crave them. That's what happens with diabetes. Uh, diabetes makes you crave carbs. That's one of the, the, the I guess, one of the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The evils, <laughs> I should say, of diabetes. It makes you crave the one thing that makes your diabetes worse. But the other thing that happens is insulin resistance does the same thing. And most people walking around with insulin resistance don't know they have it because there are no tests. There are a few tests that show it, but most doctors, including myself, don't order it off the bat, right off the bat, mainly because sometimes insurance companies don't pay for it. And then that cost gets shifted to the patient. And we don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. But, um, but what, what it is, is that our brain functions on uh, glucose, which is what sugar becomes when it's broken down. Mm-hmm. It's what carbs become when they're broken down. So our brain only uses glucose or ketones, which is like, you know, but that's another, um, that's all the science of that isn't really necessary right now. So in our mouth, our saliva has enzymes in it to break down food. The only food that's broken down in our mouth is carbohydrates. 
All the rest has to get through our tough stomach into our intestines before it gets broken down. And the reason that is, is because our brain is addicted to, to sugar, to glucose. And our brain wants to know when it's coming to prepare itself for its drug. And so that's why it is so, um, so often we crave carbs, we crave sugar, we crave those things because it's our, our brain is actually working against us. And, the, and so often what happens is there's a physiological reason why that's happening. And if you break that cycle, and it's a physiologic cycle, it's not something you can will away or, you know, but if you break that cycle, that craving stops. And so if you're someone who is craving carbs and we crave carbs when we're under stress because of cortisol, but also that's part of that whole diabetic arc. Um, it's really, really important then to speak to your doctors about getting tested for diabetes and, and for insulin resistance, because until that's addressed, what happens is that craving keeps going, your weight will keep going up and essentially you're going to try losing weight in an environment where your body's fighting against you. Interesting you say that because according to statistics, 88 million Americans are considered pre-diabetic mm -hmm. and most of them have no idea um, that they're mm -hmm. at, at risk for these types of yeah. things. Wow. Now, in terms of just uh, frequency of eating, um, do you subscribe to an eating window? Do you subscribe to because uh, you hear certain people say, well, skip breakfast mm -hmm. and just eat lunch and dinner. Um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Eat however you feel like eating. Eat when you're hungry. It's not, it's not when you eat, it's what you eat that matters. Mm -hmm. So people are like, oh, I eat late at night. I eat late at night all the time. But I don't eat carbohydrates by themselves late at night. Mm -hmm. So the trick is, uh, a, a good way of, 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 of maintaining, of losing weight and maintaining it and not having to worry about all that times and all that sort of stuff. That's not natural. We, where did that come from? Because we never ate like that before. So essentially what you do is, they said, drink water before putting anything else in your mouth. Eat only one carbohydrate at a time. That way, you know, you're going to limit how much carbohydrate you're going to eat. And never eat a carbohydrate by itself. If you do those three things, your weight will come down. Now, if you're having difficulty with those things because you're craving something, it could be that you're already in the insulin resistant pre-diabetic stage and therefore you need something to help break that cycle temporarily until you can come out of it. And that's when, you know, usually that's when I start treating. I know a lot of doctors wait until someone's hemoglobin A1C, which is what we test for diabetes. They wait till it's high. And when it's borderline or pre-diabetic, we say lose weight, you know, but it's almost impossible to lose weight when you're in that phase because your body's fight is like pushing a boulder up a hill. Mm -hmm. And so what I do is I usually treat people temporarily. I treat them until their weight comes down. And when their weight comes down, they come out of diabetic range and then they can come off the medicine from there. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about carbs, just so people have an understanding, when we're talking about carbs, we're talking about things like breads, pastas, grains, you know, starchy vegetables, snack foods, mm -hmm. uh, which are prime uh, suspect when it comes to carbs, mm -hmm. correct? Yes. Okay. And again, but you can always pair them with something 
to prevent. I, I eat carbs in most meals that I have. Mm-hmm. But what I do, like for example, I'll give you an example. I love toast. I love having coffee and toast in the morning. I am extremely sensitive to carbohydrates. I have, I am a diabetic. Once a diabetic, you're always a diabetic. My body does not care that, you know, I'm not on insulin anymore. It still treats me, you know, acts like I'm a diabetic. And so what I do is I just keep adding stuff to that bread until it's it's the smallest part of the meal. So I'll add scrambled eggs. I may have some turkey bacon. I may, you know, throw some cream cheese or nut butter on my toast. And so by the time it's all said and done, the bread is very small compared to the rest of my meal, but I can still have my toast and coffee. Mm-hmm. I just have to have other things with it so that it, the bread doesn't cause a problem. And so you kind of do that with every single meal. If I want pasta, I limit how much pasta I eat, but I make sure it's with a meat sauce or mm-hmm. some type of meat also, and a lot of vegetables. If I want rice, do the same thing. And you basically do, if you want crackers, you know, eat them, cheese, nut butter, something so that the crackers is very little of the total. Um, if I want potato chips, I dip them in dip because dip is a no carb uh, additive. It's something you can do that has fat and protein that um, offsets the starch of the potato chip. Mm-hmm. And then like with anything though, you do things within moderation, with you know, in moderation. Sure. Um, and so there are other tricks, you know, don't eat out of a bag because it's hard to stop when you're eating out of a bag. You take a bowl, you put it in a bowl first, then you go away and you eat it somewhere else away from the bag of chips. Otherwise, you know, it's hard to, to stop and limit yourself. And so, um, you know, those are all tricks that work and they're, they're not, they're not strict. You're not starving yourself. Um, you're not putting yourself through all these hardships um, and, and all these things that people like to do so they can have bragging rights. You don't have all that. It's just normal, everyday. Um, um, a, a perfect example, I had a, one of my, 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 my patients, uh, patient clients, because um, I, I see mostly people virtually now, who was sitting in a restaurant. She found me because she was sitting in a restaurant she overheard a conversation of some women at the next table and one of them was eating and the other, her friends are like, I can't believe you lost so much weight and you still eat like that. And she goes, I'm telling you, Dr. Toomer told me uh, this is all I have to do and I can eat whatever I want, but all I have to do are these things. And they're like, and she said, she heard my name, wrote it down and called me the next day. Cause she was like, I want to figure out how I can eat. And, and because what she, she was eating a piece of chocolate cake. Mm. And, and her friends are saying, they're going, how in the world are you eating cake when you're, not, you're losing weight? And she said, did you notice I didn't have any carbohydrates on my plate when I ate dinner? All I had was steak and vegetables so that my potato, instead of having potatoes, I had cake instead. Mm. And that's the trick. Wow. And all of that to offset the spike in insulin. Mm-hmm. Because you've, your body's already working. Excuse me. I have allergies. We're in allergy season here. Um, Your body's already working on the protein and the fat and the vegetables. So by the time you slip that carb in there behind it, one, you don't eat as much because you're already eating. Mm -hmm. And then two, two, uh, your body's already working on other things. 
And so it, you just kind of hide it behind other things so that your brain doesn't even realize it's there. Right. And, and it actually makes sense what you're saying, because when you think about it, uh, you get more nutrients out of fats and proteins mm-hmm. uh, to keep the body healthy as opposed yes. to carbs, which are simply a source of energy. Yes. And so exactly your body's going to get the nutrients to heal, to build back up with, with fat, as long as it's a healthy source of fats. And mm-hmm. we can get into that later, yeah. but because uh, a lot of people eat, you know, unhealthy sources of fats and oils and everything. But as long as you're eating healthy sources of fats, I think you're actually giving your body the tools that it needs to actually begin the healing process and uh, mm-hmm. set you on a path of, yes. of better health. Now, what about we? You mentioned, uh, you know, a little bit about the role of stress, the role of cortisol in terms mm-hmm. of you know, its impact on our uh, insulin, our blood sugar, Um, you know, with stress comes sleep. Uh, How important is sleep in, in terms of your body's ability to heal? Very, it's very important. Not only is it important for our body to heal, but one of the things that um, people always say fat makes you fat. Fat are used in our body to make hormones. Our hormones help regulate all our processes in our body. And some of those processes, if they go, they can go haywire and cortisol is one of those. It's a necessary evil. Insulin's another necessary evil in our, so to speak. But if they go out of whack, then basically they go into overdrive. And so what, um, and so what cortisol does is that it, makes our insulin levels rise. And so what our insulin levels rise, our body makes fat. Now there's a couple of things that disrupt our sleep. The stress that causes the cortisol to go up. So, you know, we just, our brain's going over, you know, working over time. The other is um, that as we gain weight, we gain weight around our neck also. And that can cause sleep apnea, which disrupts our sleep. But also what happens during our sleep, our body produces a hormone called leptin. And what leptin does is it helps regulate our appetite. It helps tell our, tell, you know, it's one of those hormones that helps our brain know when we've eaten. It tells our brain when we've had enough to eat. And so when our leptin levels are low, we tend to overeat. And that's when people say, I eat certain things because I'm tired. Part of it is, yes, you're tired. And so you think that carbs are going to give you energy, mm-hmm. of which they don't really. And even if they do, it's temporary. But a lot of it is because not having enough sleep is, has caused a hormone in your body to remain low. And that low hormone is what's making you also eat. It affects your appetite. And wow. so sleep is hugely important for weight loss. Um, it's one of what I call the non-food uh, disruptors of weight loss is insomnia. And, you know, stress is one, insomnia is another. And, and that's why, um, that's where the wellness comes in, in the health, wellness, and weight loss. The wellness part is making sure that people get enough sleep and that they're stressed, they have stress, but we can change how we react to those things. And when you learn how to react to those things, either through meditation, through deep breathing, through prayer, uh, through socializing with friends and just being around people you love, whatever it takes to help bring those stress hormones down, 
then that will help in the long run. And it changes what your body does with food. So if you're under stress and you eat something, your body will take what you've eaten and turn it into fat. If you're calm and you're not under stress, you can eat the exact same meal and your body will turn it into fuel. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important, you know, uh, wellness. When people start talking about self-care, that's real. I know it sounds like all oh, this new age stuff. It is absolutely real. Self-care is very important. Indeed it is. Hence why this is called the Self-Care Forum Podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it, it does have, self-care does have an element of discipline. You know, it, it's about, first of all, finding out what needs to be done, but also having a mm -hmm. desire to do it. Um, yeah. You know, are you a, are you an advocate of people maybe keeping a food journal to chronicle what they're yes. eating? Okay. The only reason I, I'm a fan of food journals, and this is because in a journal, what I, I have people write down when they're eating, what they're eating, how much they're eating, but what they're doing while eating and what their mood is while eating. And the reason is you can pick up certain patterns. If, you, if, you, um, if, if you're trying to lose weight or you're trying to be healthier and you're trying to adapt, adopt uh, healthier habits, you can pick up certain patterns. Like you'll notice, I only eat when I'm in the car rushing somewhere, or um, I don't really pay attention to what I'm eating because I'm always eating on the go. Or, you know, lots of, and, and those patterns can affect what happens, um, what, ha what, food, what happens with food once it's in your body. And so um, that's why a food diary is important. Just because if you're looking for reasons why something may be, you can pick up those patterns if you see it. Um, I don't think it's absolutely necessary. I'm one of those people where if I start documenting what I eat, I tend to eat more. It makes me focus on food. And I, I don't normally focus on food much. So other than that, I enjoy it. And so um, it, it's, it's, it's if it works and you need it, yes, food diaries are good. But if you find the opposite effect is happening, then no, don't. Wow, indeed. With regards to your new paradigm, essentially it's not new, but it's the way you've specialized in it to help people in their journey of losing weight and regaining their health. It's quite different to the typical doctor-patient a relationship that we see where, uh, you know, the patient might only get 15 minutes with a, uh, with their primary care physician. And even then there's not nearly enough time to go into their lifestyle, you know, what they're eating and, and different things that may occur, which can impact their health. How do you reconcile the two or are they mm -hmm. so far apart? They're unreconcilable you know, the idea of encouraging people and, and everything. Go ahead. Um, actually, and I, I'd like, because you brought that up, there's actually a question in the chat that fits very well into this. And mm -hmm. before we get too far away from the hormone sleep, if you don't mind me reading it and then answering that ahead. question. So the question says, um, or it's talking about sleep and hormone. And the question is, if you're working night shifts, how does it affect these hormone levels? And should we practice a version of intermittent fasting while doing night shift to somehow offset the disruption in hormonal balance. 
what the actual night shift isn't the problem as much as it, as it is the swing shifts. So if you're night shift one week and then your day shift the next week, and then you're, it's really hard for your body to create a pattern. And so you're right, intermittent fasting in that case, and I wouldn't say intermittent fasting, I would say creating a, fa- a eating window would be very helpful because what that does is our bodies, our body likes patterns. And we're often, our patterns are often based around time. And so by creating an eating window, what that does is it primes your body to be ready for food at the same time every day. You don't have to not eat at other times. It's just whatever window that eating window is that's comfortable and fits within your work schedule. Um, So it's important to get enough sleep and then make sure you get enough nutrients and you make sure that those nutrients are um, from healthy sources of food. But again, it's, it's more the sleep that gets disrupted that's more of an issue rather than when you eat. And I, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, um, and we can go into that a little more afterwards during the Q&A if you needed more clarification on that. Sure, sure. So, um, so essentially when you're asking about how I, you know, if I, uh, deal with a lifestyle, what I do is I, I do three things. I first get a health history, like any health history, you know, what medications do you take? Have you had surgeries? What's your family history? you know, all of that, what we normally do in medicine. And then I do a behavioral health uh, screening. I screen for depression, anxiety, ADHD, and also for childhood trauma. And the reason is all of those things affect how we relate to food and what food does when it's in our body. And then I do a social, uh, how much sleep do you get? Where do you work? How stressful is your job? Do you get along with your bosses? Do you get along with your spouse? How many children do you have? Do any of them have illnesses? Are you a caretaker? All of those things that can add to stress or add to that can um, also give support. You know, how much support do you have? Um, I have questions, you know, how, how supportive are your friends in this process from zero to 10? How supportive will your family be zero to 10? Because often what happens when you get sabotaged is the people closest to you. We either sabotage ourselves the people around us can sabotage us. And so I'd like to know that beforehand so I can help people shore up against that. Um, but that, and, and, and that takes some time to go through because a lot of times, um, you know, I'll have someone say, you know, oh, I have no problem. I'm not under stress at all. And then as I'm talking to them, they'll say things like, you know what? My, I woke up this morning and my knees were really hurting and whatever. And I was like, well, what were you doing the day, day before? They're like, oh, nothing. And I was like, well, I did get in an argument with, you know, my sister. I was like, do you argue with your sister often? Well, just about every day. And I was like, well, in the days you don't argue with your sister, what do you notice? Do your knees hurt the next day? Because stress causes inflammation. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so when you start trying to help people connect things they're feeling and what they're doing to the, the events that are happening in their lives that make more sense, then they can start avoiding certain things or start shifting certain things or realizing that their health is more important than getting a point across. You know, it's just, you know, so all of those things, and sometimes it takes a little time. Sometimes it's very obvious right from the beginning. Um, And so, but everything ties together. We can't separate them out. We're, we're, we're animals of, of organ, of organ systems. 
And all those systems, including our mind and our spirit, all work together and are inner, you know, that are interconnected. And if one gets derailed, the others get affected. And if all, all of them have to be working in harmony to be healthy. Well said, Dr. Toomer. Very well said. So how do we work with you? Where can we find you? How do we contact you if we wanted to work with you? Okay. Well, there's one way. My, my um, website is drtumor.com. That's drtumor.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook as C. Harmon Tumor, uh, MD, and you can send me messages on Messenger. Um, I'm also on um, Instagram, although I say I'm not on Instagram as much. So probably Messenger and my website are the two best ways to contact me. Or you can email me at courage at drtumor.com. And I will get back to you. And I have essentially what I have, I have group at one-on-one, when I come my executive um, one-on-one program, which is, which is weekly one-on-one with an individual. And we just go through everything. And then the other is my group where it's my whole program. And what I do is I just kind of go through, it's a year long um, program that's, I, I meet on Zoom like this once a month, we go through questions and then I have experts come in, talk about specific things. And then we just kind of go through and just individualize my program to fit. So, you know, cause what it, it's a basic program um, that works but then there's some things that you need to look for that might be individualized to you. And so that's when we kind of go through, you know, um, it's not as intense as my one-on-ones, but you still get the same thing. It's just spread out. Well, thank you for sharing that. And we will include all of your contact information uh, on our YouTube channel when we post this video. Um, you also have a, okay. a PDF copy of a book, How to Lose Weight Without Really Trying, correct? Yes, and I, I'll, I'll pass that along to you. Um, um, it's been a while since I posted, so I just wanna make sure that the formatting is still accurate because I'll check it and then I'll, I'll send that out to you. Thank you so much, Dr. Toomer. Now, this is the part of our podcast where we open it up to the audience. And for anyone who may have a question, uh, we give them the opportunity to ask. Uh, just prior to doing that, I'm gonna go ahead and stop the recording and uh, 